This is Eager Feet, a conversational podcast where we journey from the mundane to the sublime and back. I'm Cameron Surrey, lay tertiary chaplain here at Auckland Catholic Tertiary Chaplaincy, 110 Simon Street. With me today is Eleanor Bloomfield. Eleanor is writing her PhD thesis in English at the University of Auckland. Her research is focused on the York mystery plays. These plays, stretching back to medieval times, were abolished in the latter part of the 16th century following the English Reformation, but were revived in 1951. But before we get to talking more about the mystery plays, Eleanor, what's your most memorable moment associated with theatre? Well, that's probably a tie between the very first production I saw at the Pop-Up Globe when they opened in the city in 2016 and um, working with the York Mystery Plays last year as part of my research over in the UK. I did a, an extended field trip and as part of that I was able to be quite heavily involved with the uh, Wagon production in September last year which was amazing on lots of different levels. So what was your involvement? What um, particular part of the logistics were you responsible for? I was responsible for organising all the volunteers that we had working um, front of house. They were wagon productions so there was no house but um, they were they were involved in um, helping with the audience, um, doing audience surveys, answering any questions um, at each of the four different stations around the city and my job was basically to run between the four of them and make sure that all the stations were covered throughout the day um, and that everybody was happy and um, checking up on any gaps that needed filling. So just to give people who are not familiar with the York Mystery Plays a bit of an idea of what that looks like, tell us about what are these wagons and, and how, are the, how are the plays sort of um, performed? So the York Mystery Plays cycle, for those who aren't so familiar with it, is a selection or a collection of um, 47, depending on how you count them, but 47 is the traditionally accepted number a collection of short pageants which span the story of biblical salvation history from creation through to the last judgment. They're broken up into short sections and those short pageants are about 20 minutes long are performed traditionally on wagons, so that's the stage, and they're taken in procession through the streets of York, stopping at pre-arranged locations where you set up the wagon and the set and perform the pageant. Um, and then the wagon rolls on and the next one rolls in and the performance continues like that. And they have also been done in fixed place, so with a big open stage, but the, the wagon performance is how they would have been done in the Middle Ages and um, is what recent productions have moved back towards, away from the big fixed place settings. So are you saying that there's different plays performed in different locations around the city? There's a processional route which is mapped out beforehand. The modern one isn't the same as the medieval one because of health and safety and traffic and logistical right. reasons. Yeah. Um, but basically, yes, you map a, a route through the city and then you decide we are going to stop and the, the wagons move from the start through to the finish and there are between usually four and five stations, they're called the stopping points. Right, so each one will be performed several yes. times? Yes. So for a spectator, you can you can remain at one station, and you can see all the different yes. pageants come through. Yeah, okay. or you can follow them to the next one if you want to see if you know somebody performing in one of 
Right, and you want to see it again. Right, and you want to see it again, you can uh, follow the procession. Okay. And so if they're 20 minutes long and there's about 47 of them, then is it done over several days, or how does it work? In York today, there has never been a revival of all 47, and they've only ever done that in modern times over in Canada at the University of Toronto oh. in 1977 and 1998. In York today, they usually do... Um, the last one was 11, which was quite a lot. Mm. Um, usually, yeah, between between 6 and 11. Okay. And I guess that means that... So they happen every few years? Normally. Yeah, the wagons are running on a fairly regular cycle, have been for the last 20 years or so, on every four years. Right. Yeah. And so they can choose a different selection each time? Yes, although there are always ones that have to be included because they make logical bookends so right. the creation and the last judgment usually there right. and the crucifixion will always be there because it's the natural climax the beginning the middle and the cycle. end yeah, yeah exactly okay uh, interesting so uh, um in the chapter you sent me which i think is chapter five mm -hmm. is it of, of your thesis um you're talking about the i guess the religious aspect of plays and how that's how that's sort of um, been dealt with in modern times mm -hmm. in the in the in the revival since 1951. Um, one question I had, because again, having experienced them, you've got a completely um, much better perspective than anyone just trying to imagine it. As a spectator, what's the level of um, like a religious feel to the plays when you're watching them as as someone with religious sensibilities yourself, um, does it feel like a religious performance or a secular one or somewhere in between? Somewhere in between, yes. Um, in performance, the plays have become much more secular, I would say, or more concerned with, or less concerned perhaps with the, the plays as a performance of piety than they were back in 1951 when they were first revived. Um, as a very rough estimate, an unscientific survey from talking to people involved, about half of the people involved with the plays come from a religious, or come from or informed by a religious viewpoint or background, and the other half don't, so you do get a genuine blending of the secular and the religious. Um, and how that comes out can be interesting to observe. So, uh, and I guess there's the audience as well, which, would you say the audience, their perspective also shapes the way that the plays um, are manifested? Yes, again, I think there's been a shift away from, away from the plays as, as piety, which is very much how they were revived. Um, and the religious tradition is still there, but Diluted isn't quite the right word, but it's now mixed in with a lot of other concerns, such as mm. um, the place the plays have in the local community as a community event and bringing people together within the community and not within the religious, specifically religious community. Right. Um, Is it a little bit like um, the, a little Christmas nativity play that we might go to here in New Zealand where the kids are doing something and we, we may not have any religious faith but you know, little Johnny is going to be yes. Joseph and so yes. we'll go along. And the nativity plays um, are a direct descendant of the mystery plays and the 
apart from the, the York plays and the Chester cycle, which is similar, the only regularly performed descendant in Britain and around the world um, today. And is that, is that where the plays started as well? Um, my meagre knowledge is of St Francis and the Franciscans um, popularising these kinds of plays in Europe and that perhaps the Christmas scene was one of the first. Is that correct? I don't know so much about the European tradition. Basically, the simple answer is that nobody really knows for right. sure. Um, the, the English tradition, at least, which obviously is the one I know most about, um, again, nobody really knows, but it is thought that they, the plays developed out of the liturgy and the the Easter ceremony of um, burying the cross or the the Eucharist under the altar, so in the tomb on Good Friday, and then opening it and raising up the cross again on Easter Sunday morning. Mm. Um, and we know there was a good deal of what could be called performance ritual involved in that. So three Marys coming to the tomb and singing the the Easter the song of Easter morning. Right. And the theory is that eventually the plays moved out of the churches and into the streets. Mm. Um, but the beginnings of medieval drama are murky. Right. And now, of course, you have the Corpus Christi processions as well, yes. kind of starting around that, that time, like maybe 13th century. Yes, yeah. Yeah, so, so I guess that whole public expression of what we now consider to be something that's very private, you know, generally faith is pushed to, to the level of the personal um, or the private. Is there, a, is there a lingering awkwardness then when you're in York in a public space and, you know, the name of Jesus is being um, uh, spoken, or that sort of thing. It's like uh, for me personally, or for a wider audience. Well, maybe both. I mean, do you perceive um, any sense of awkwardness about the public and the private? Um, that's a good question to which I don't have a definitive answer. Um, is there any awkwardness? I don't think so. I th not for me, because I've got used to it, I suppose. Mm. Um, I know the crucifixion is always a pageant that people will have the strongest response to, and sometimes they do. You do get people who object to that being performed. Um, or there was one, there was the best example of that is not this production, but the last one. The crucifixion scene has quite a a funny black humour with the four soldiers who put Christ on the cross and they're pulling him and tugging him to fit the holes on the cross right. which is awful black comedy right. um, but it got a laugh from the audience because it, it can be funny because they're, they're workmen botching the job right. um, so they were doing that the audience laughed and somebody complained saying that it was blasphemous right and that raises a big issue because um, what we didn't touch on too much in the introduction was that these plays were suppressed 
for about what, 350 years yeah. or thereabouts. Um, could you speak a little bit about some of the reasons behind that? Well, when the English Reformation came in, the plays came under scrutiny for their explicitly Catholic theology background and outlook. Um, mm. and there was particular tension around the, the concept of the Eucharist and the body of Christ and the transubstantiation, um, which didn't fit with um, the new reforming theology. And the play, they weren't immediately suppressed. They were tinkered with and cut down mm. and bits were edited out. The pageant that deals with the Last Supper was completely removed from the manuscript and presumably destroyed. It's now lost. Um, and I think the Marian pageants were also edited out or down substantially. Um, but the last performance, or the last known complete performance, was in 1569, and after that they just don't seem to have been performed, although there still seems to have been um, a desire in York to put them on. They right. still seem to have been accepted at least by the local community, if not by church officials, perhaps right. further afield down in London. And um, they were then lost or forgotten about until the early 20th century, when some enterprising people in the theatrical world with an interest in medieval drama tried to or started experimenting or investigating early English medieval drama and attempt to put it on again, at which point they ran afoul of the blasphemy and the censorship laws, um, right. which had come in with the Elizabethan period and subsequent political um, concerns around portraying God on stage. And so it was technically illegal to portray God on stage until 1968, I think okay. it was finally abolished. Um, so the, the early history of the revival of the mystery plays was a troubled one. Mm. Um, and they had to be was quite it a careful. real trouble? I mean, were were plays actually stopped from being performed, or was there just some administrative hoops that they had to jump through to get them? No, they were actually stopped. It was it was illegal to to perform these plays in a commercial theatre, and they tried to get round it in various ways um, by either by performing it. That one of them was performed in the director's drawing room. Um, so technically not a commercial theatre, so technically not illegal, but they still got into trouble with the Lord Chamberlain's office, um, and there were there are examples of productions being shut down and mm. the ticket money having to be refunded. And, I mean, have you reflected much on the kind of philosophy or theology behind that um, suspicion of you know, any portrayal of God by a human being, and, you know, automatically amounting to blasphemy? Yeah, it goes all the way back to the Middle Ages, so the Treatise of Miracles Playing is a, um, I think it's a 14th century tract against playing the mystery plays or playing portraying God on stage, and it gives reasons why, <coughs> um, basically saying that humans can never imitate the divine and any attempt to do so is, is blasphemy or mockery of the divine mm. and shouldn't be attempted. And you can trace that feeling all the way down right through to the um, probably right through to the mid-20th century. Um, it was it was an area where people and the officials who were responsible for what was called um, public decency and morality were not willing to go. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. Cause I, I, so I suppose the, the plays were harmonised better with a more Catholic worldview, which is perhaps more 
more focus on embodiment, mm-hmm. perhaps. And then with the Protestant worldview, which was more focused on the text. Yes, and the internal. Yeah. Then the plays didn't really fit, no, maybe, with that, didn't. with that worldview. And then it's interesting that we've had to wait until... Um, we don't really take God so seriously anymore, I suppose. And so is, is it perhaps because of that that um, these plays are now allowed to be shown? Um, not because we've, we've sort of suddenly become Catholic again, but actually because the kind of reverence or um, the concern not to commit any sort of form mm. of blasphemy has sort of faded, faded a little bit. Yes, I think that is true now, um, very much. But in 1951, there was still this. Right. There was a there was a tension between those who wanted to perform the plays. He said, "This isn't this isn't wrong. They have much to say and to speak mm. about, and to audiences, modern audiences." And those who said, "No, you can't do that. You can't play God. Um, literally, you can't play God." Mm. So yes, there was there was very much that then. And yes, I think you're right that now that has faded. Um, yeah, the fact that they did manage to be revived in 1951 is actually quite remarkable. Mm. So someone had to push that mm-hmm. really hard and yes. keep persisting. Yes. Mm. And so who roughly was that? Was it a, a group of people who got together and decided that they were going to relaunch them? Um, it was Martin Brown who was really responsible for their revival. He, he was... A, a theatre practitioner and um, he did some u- university work as well. He'd been interested in the medieval mystery plays f- for a long time um, and when 1951 came along with the Festival of Britain he was um, he saw the York plays as a chance for York's contribution to the festival and luckily the people in York who were responsible for, for that, for the, the York Festival Trust um, they agreed with him, and so it was ultimately a small team who who got them mm. staged. But he was the the driving force behind it. Yeah, and I guess so. Using the momentum of that festival that was already taking place, mm-hmm. and saying, "Well, if we're going to showcase um, York, then yes. this should be part of it." Yes, mm. the festival was very much concerned with. The, the glories of the past and the glories of the future is what they were trying to get at, so the reconciling of the two and mm. using the past to to build a better future, uh, bearing in mind that the war had just finished in Britain and this period was still feeling the effects of that and of austerity and of rationing mm. and the idea was that they took the best bits, I suppose, of, of Britain's cultural past as a as a foundation for building something new. Right. To what extent um, then are the plays now, would you say, used to explore, I don't know, themes that are particularly relevant to us at the moment, you know, um, rather than simply simply portraying the, the Bible mm-hmm. gospel themes? Um, there's been a shift away from that and towards more um, contemporary concerns such as um, some of the ones that have been explored in recent productions are things like the refugee crisis, um, climate change, I think even cyberbullying in the last production and 
the idea is that directors take these old pageants and use them as a way of exploring or or mapping onto modern concerns. Mm. So the the massacre of the innocents um, has been used to explore um, the situation of children in the Middle East and those crossing the sea and those who end up washed overboard and and drowning. Mm. Um, the harrowing of hell, which has the list of all the medieval sins, has been used to explore things like um, pollution, um, bullying in a modern modern context. Right. So there is there is this dialogue between the old and the new, and yeah. a melding between them. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, and how, what about the climate change one? How did they? Um, bring that in as a thing? Um, I think that was, there have been various ways in different productions. Um, the Flood is an obvious one, there was right. Noah's Flood, yep. um, that quite easily maps onto mm. modern um, concerns around rising sea levels. Um, pollution again, the, the harrowing of hell in the wagon production last year had um, devils in plastic bottles and plastic netting and um, as a representation of that and of the damage it can do mm. to the world. Yeah. Do you think this is in keeping with the original spirit of the place given I think you said at the beginning of your article it's difficult to distinguish in the Middle Ages between the social concerns and the religious ones. Mm. Um, would you say the same here that um, or that is it appropriate, do you think, for the plays to be used as vehicles? Um, yes, I think so, because theatre always has and always will speak to the times out of which it comes and is created. Mm. And the plays, yes, they're medieval, but they're also performed now. Um, and so, yes, I think it is right that you use the old to explore the new and that they have to they have to have some relevance or some engagement for modern audiences mm. to to hold on to. Yeah. So then, um, I sent you a piece from, from my thesis which uh, looked at, I guess, the interplay between text mm -hmm. and the body. Mm -hmm. So I, th I think it relates... Um, I'd be interested to hear your initial thoughts anyway. Um, coming from that theatre side of things? Well, the, the mystery plays literally are an exploration of the relationship between text, so the verbal written text of the plays, and embodiment of, in the medieval period, the embodiment of Christ. Mm. Um, the cycle was performed on the feet of Corpus Christi with a procession beforehand, so it's very much concerned with ideas of, of embodiment and um, the relationship between a uh, sign and signified, I suppose, between something, the representation of something and the performance of it. Um, so yes, that very much speaks to what, mm. to what you have explored. Yeah, I mean, I was interested in, and maybe it, it seeks to transcend this problem um, that you speak about, 
um, the objection to the plays, you know, that it's blasphemous to have a human being, mm-hmm. um, you know, playing God. Um, but what we see in the, the central gospel story itself, Jesus being crucified, um, is that already a parody of God or a parody, mm, yes. so kind of a parody of man and a parody of God is, is being made. Um, but this is actually at the core of things. It's, um, it actually becomes the, the most, the thing of highest value in, in the Christian faith is this, um, and so, and, and, and we don't, we don't just look back on the crucifixion on a moral level and shake our heads and say, oh, what a terrible, you know, <laughs> what a terrible thing that was. We, let's, let's never do that again. Um, and let's try and erase that whole um, thing from from human experience. Um, Christianity has tended to actually contemplate that scene. Yes, and replay it over and over again, both yeah. in in the mass and in the plays. Yeah, and so instead of becoming this simply horrible um, thing to be shunned, it's actually um, this attractive beautiful, meaningful source of, um, I don't know, it's even like a source of revelation Mm -hmm. showing us who God is and who we are. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's necessary that it be held before our eyes. Yes. Time and time again, as you said, (coughs) in order for us to um, stop deviating too much, but it sort of keeps us on on track, it sort of orients us somehow. Um, yes, I think that was very much a motivation for the medieval performance of the cycle. Um, less so today because other factors have come into play, but that is the, the right. centre, I think, yeah. and the wellspring of these plays. Because, of course, with the Gospels, um, only bare minimum of detail is yes. given, right? Um, so the the narrative describes what's taking place, and there are some details that are inserted that have theological significance. But you don't get this—you um, don't get much about the the interior um, struggle that mm. Jesus may have been going through, or um, you get very little that you would normally get from, say, a, no- a very descriptive novel. Mm-hmm. You don't even know what Jesus looked like or yes. anything like that. And so, there's almost this need that we feel to fill in all those gaps to yes. um, fully embody the thing that's already embodied but it needs it needs like a fuller expression um, and so I guess that's that's sort of what that's what they were doing those yes. mystery plays right because um, what I guess there's that emotional level too isn't it that that is almost asking to be injected yes um the medieval period was very strong, what they called effective piety, so mm. meditation on the, the sufferings and death of Christ. And there is a whole um, tradition of, of passion, not just literature, but imagery and art and, and theatre with the mystery plays, which was intended to help the viewer think about the crucifixion and the passion and, and meditate on it and the visual stimulus was mm. intended to help with that. Yeah. 
Um, and I also found it interesting that, um, so in the piece I sent you, I drew a lot from Bishop John Fisher, mm -hmm. uh, 16th century bishop who was one of the, I think the only bishop, that, as my knowledge goes, who refused to accept mm -hmm. um, King Henry VIII's um, sort of new status as, as head of the church. And so he, he was martyred in the end. But this is an earlier homily from a Good Friday. And he's using this image of a, a manuscript, uh, a text, an illuminated manuscript. Yes, quite a, a striking image. Yeah. Um, and how he talks about the, the, um, the smaller wounds on Christ being like the, the writing on the manuscript. And the, the five wounds in his hands, his side, his feet, as being like the illuminated the first letter of the page. Yes. And, um, but I think he goes on to say that while normally a manuscript would have margins, there were no margins left on Christ's flesh. It's like his whole body was mm -hmm. covered in text, yes. you might say. And so he, the analogy, like, um, or rather what happens in Christ's body is pushes the thing further than even the analogy mm. of, of the manuscript. Um, really, in, like, real deep thought, Liddy's. Um, yes, I hadn't come across that uh, that sermon, but it is a very striking image, mm. the idea of Christ as text and the wounds, as you said, the large wounds, the, the illuminated um, letters. That is interesting, as I think, um, were manuscripts, when did printing come in? Was that the late 1400s or yeah, early, so it was shortly before the Reformation? It's interesting that he goes back to to the manuscript and not yeah, it's a written, written, handwritten and mm. hand drawn text, and all the hours of work that went into making a manuscript, especially those capital letters. Um, mm. I must go and look that up further because <laughs> it's very yeah. interesting. Well, and I'm I'm also interested in the transformation that this implies. So because the text is in a way written by us mm. right and and it's I think I described it as graffiti yes. it's sprawled mm -hmm. it's like um, it's it's expletives and swear words mm. and all kinds of horrible text actually um, which he takes up and sort of trans, trans, um, transforms into the word of God so he doesn't, it's not like the, the text is simply rejected, the text is absorbed and the meaning of it is changed mm -hmm. because um, it's, and it's because of the, the manuscript upon which it's written, you might say, because it's written on his body um, and he's the, the chosen one, the son of God, then, um, and God's faithful to him, then, um, in the resurrection, that text is transformed and given a whole different meaning, and that, and then that sheds light back on his crucifixion mm. and the meaning of that. Um, so it's fascinating that, yeah, these these um, you might say the words of hatred get transformed into a message of love. Yes, or redemption. Like yeah, um, I don't know. I, I, does it play into the controversy around the? Um, the plays, because you've got this opposition to the plays, this this um, attempt to 
to get rid of it, to, to disembody um, the Christian faith to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. And um, then, yeah, battling against this, this desire to, for embodiment, this desire to, to express things um, properly. Um, yeah, I wonder if that sort of expresses something of the struggle between good and evil itself. Mm -hmm. Possibly. With, with the plays being repressed or, or forgotten or whatever, it's partly, partly that, but also, as you were saying, the, the disembodiment or the... There was a shift between the outward portrayal of religion and piety and the internalisation of it. Mm. Um, and a shift, I think, from communal and external expression of religion to, to one that was much more private and personal. Um, and the plays don't fit so well mm. with that. And I, that, I think, was one reason why they were... Mm. Were, fell out of favour or popularity or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, well, it's interesting because you said that um, what happened first of all is that plays got trimmed or adapted or certain ones got left out, like The Last Supper mm -hmm. and the Marian ones. And so, but then actually that, that wasn't sufficient, it seems, because the opposition to the plays was just an opposition in the end to the plays in general. Yes, and to their, their heritage and, mm. yeah the Catholic faith which they embody literally. Yeah, and so it wasn't just we don't want them to be doctrinally suspect, um, but it's actually we don't want to use this medium for transmitting the gospel because mm -hmm. we think that this medium is itself problematic. Yes. Um, so so that's interesting. Like the whole the medium is the message thing. It's almost yes. like they, they, were, they were affirming that. Um, um, yeah, perhaps that's really true. Just shows the medium is, in a large part, the message. Um, and yeah, what are your thoughts about um, that difficulty of, like, is there, um, do you think, a danger of, of disrespect to the mysteries, to the Christian mysteries, um, depending on how the play is actually um, done? Yes. Yes, I think there is, but I also think that when the plays have been performed, they have been handled even by people who aren't religious or Catholic or have any religious affiliation at all. They are always handled, at least what I've seen of them, with with a respect for their history, their past, mm. their religious background. Um, and. Productions, I think, or at least again, the ones I've seen have always tried to honour that and respect that. And certainly, I don't think I've ever been offended or upset by by anything that's been done with the plays and performance. Mm. Well, what was your take on that scene, the crucifixion scene and the soldiers? I didn't actually witness that. That was told to me as an anecdote by somebody I was talking to. Right. Um, but. Yes, it is. It, it is a funny scene. It's awful to say, um, mm. but it can be. It can be funny, and perhaps it shouldn't be. And I, I don't know what. I don't know what the theological 
debate would be there, but as it, as the text stands, as it's written, and as it as I can imagine it performance, yes, there is that potential for it to be funny. Mm. Yeah, yeah. There seems to be plenty of even in the Gospels, there seems seems to be plenty of juxtaposition yes. between um, the sublime and, and the ridiculous, yeah. or the yeah. Yeah. So almost as if well, that's again part and parcel of uh, the, a gospel where got a belief that God became human being. Mm. And In a way, that juxtaposition can can heighten the shock you then feel when thinking back to that particular right. pageant when the cross is then raised because the scene with the workman, the cross is lying flat on the bed of the wagon and the actor is being nailed to the cross so you can't actually see right. him, especially if you're at the back of a crowd. Yep. So you can you can hear the workman banging around and fumbling around and not getting the nails in the right places and all the the Yorkshire dialect and grumbling with that. Um, and then the cross is raised and that that image of the crucifixion is of course so instantly recognisable. That is always a very shocking moment and there is always a gasp that goes around the audience when the the cross Mm. is raised. So the mood can switch very quickly from from laughter to to shock, to awe and perhaps that makes you think about why you were laughing just a minute ago and whether the what the laughter does in the production, in the performance, contributing to the crucifixion, and then perhaps that makes you think about what you have done, what sins have done, what the sins of humanity have done mm. to crucify mm. Christ. Um, and you don't realise at the time, and it's only when you see that moment of the crucifixion, of the cross going up, um, that really brings it home. Yeah. Yeah, and because I guess there's that same mix of the ridiculous and the sublime um, in in each one of us mm. um, so it's not like um, that mixture is just there on on the stage it's on the stage because it's reflecting something in us and sometimes I guess you you're quite flippant about something and then you realise oh my goodness yes. actually um, someone else is really hurt by that yes. and, yeah. and there's that sudden realisation yeah um. Yeah, the plays are very human. They deal with all these weighty and lofty themes. Um, but actually, when it comes down to it, they were they were people performing them. People yeah. are human, and they always have been. And they always will be. Um, and that goes goes right through the cycle. There's a glorious scene in the in the um, in the flood where Noah and his wife are arguing. It's just it's a married couple bickering, um, mm. and that's that goes down the ages, unfortunately. <laughs> so does she um, Does she eventually agree to get into the ark? Yes, I think she does, <laughs> yep, but not without much discussion beforehand. <laughs> <laughs> mm. And I mean, maybe those moments, uh, those lighter moments, I mean, it's kind of what you've already said, they actually provide... Um, a better platform for the sublime moments mm. to show themselves. That if you're trying to show things that are sublime or serious or really deep, and you don't show anything else of any other kind, then maybe it just becomes all too much and yeah. too samey and too intense, and difficult to engage with for an audience. Yes, yeah, you need the contrast. And bearing in mind, of course, that the medieval performance of these 
plays probably took place over an entire day, so about 12, 13, 15 hours of performance, yeah. so it can't all be yeah. up there. You have to have the, the contrast to... Right. Would this have been in the context of a general sort of carnival atmosphere with feasting and that sort of thing? Um, probably, actually. Um, I don't know so much about that. Um, but yes, they were associated with the Corpus Christi feast, which would have been a holy day of obligation, so therefore a holiday. Mm. Um, and yes, I'm sure, I don't think the medieval people ever passed off an opportunity for feasting. Yeah. <laughs> and of course it was summer, so food would should have been plentiful. Yeah. The weather yeah. should have been good, but yeah. this is Britain, so... Right. So, maybe like a more exciting form of... Um, cricket or something like that, you know, where yes, you can actually perhaps. be a spectator, dipping in, dipping yeah, out. Yeah, come and go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah interesting. Uh, anything else that you wanted to add about um, some of the, the modern takes and the different themes um, that have been played with? Like, I, I realised that who is the character playing Jesus seems to have been um, sometimes a, a big question and have caused some controversy. Yes, there has been a shift in recent years for many of the parts, or more of the parts, to be taken by, by women because, of course, <laughs> their biblical stories, there aren't very, very many women in the sure. original text. Yeah. Probably partly because women in the medieval period couldn't act, so why write in women's parts? But also there aren't that many, well, there are women in the Bible, but there are more men. They just always are. Yeah. Um, so, recent, several recent productions have have cast some of the the men's parts as women, given them to women, um, and that has caused some controversy, especially around um, casting of Christ or of God the Father as a woman. Um, some people just aren't comfortable with that, mm. and you've got this. Two camps people who say yes, it's good, it's progressive, and they say no, you can't do that. Mm. Um, interestingly, females playing devils don't need to be a problem. <laughs> so you can have a female Lucifer or plenty of devils, um, and they, they never get comment, yeah. at least not in a negative sense. Mm. And what about um, racial diversity and religious diversity? The plays are very white British, they have not done a good job to date of racial diversity. Um, the one production that could have done and didn't go as far with it as they, as perhaps now you would have liked them to was the 1980 production with Victor Banerjee who was a, a practicing Hindu, although interestingly he also had a, he had a Catholic education so he mm. brought two traditions right. to, to the portrayal of Christ. Um, but otherwise, yeah, there is not much hmm. racial diversity um, in production. Right. I mean, and I suppose it's a... Um, I mean, maybe this is there racial diversity in York itself? Um, off the top of my head, no. Not as right. much as other parts of the UK. So, I mean, it's just more reflective of... Yeah, of their community yeah. of... yeah. For someone listening who would like to learn more about um, the York Mystery Plays, uh, uh, short of actually visiting York uh, at the right time to see them, um, 
although you could talk about maybe when the next um, when the next cycle is. Um, what would you recommend for yeah learning a bit more? Where should someone go? Uh, there is lots of stuff, good stuff on the internet. So um, the York Mystery Plays, the Wagon production has a website, which I think is yorkmysteryplays.co.uk at the top of my head. Mm-hmm. Um, there is the National Centre for Early Music, which has a very good online archive with lots of photographs of productions from I think yes I think from 1951 through to right. the present day. Yeah. Um, there, there's quite a lot on YouTube. Um, you can see clips of various pageants that have been performed. Um, you can read my thesis when it comes out. <laughs> um, but yes, I'll, I'll start with the internet. There's lots, yeah. lots to find there. I think I did see something on YouTube, and I think the char- I think it was the character of God the Father started off was just about to speak, and then said, "Hold on," pulled out his thermos yes. mask and poured a cup. Yeah, that was from a few years ago, I think. Yeah. The um, very English the very first God. pageant. Yes, yeah, very English God. Um, Well, maybe we'll round the conversation off there. Uh, I think, though, it's really interesting to hear about uh, these York mystery plays. It's something that we um, don't hear um, about too much because I guess they're quite localised phenomenon. Yes, they are. Um, The next performed in 2022, I think, the wagon ones. Right. If you are in York at that time. And that would be during the summer, during the year. It should be, yes. Well, thanks um, very much, Eleanor. Uh, and thanks Thank you for having me. To all our listeners. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Uh, if you enjoyed listening, uh, please like, comment, or share this with your friends and social networks. You might be interested in being part of this podcast in the future, and if so, you can email me at camerons at cda.org.nz. You have, of course, been listening to Eager Feet, conversational podcast where we journey from the mundane to the sublime and back.